There's a story in a book on prayer called A Praying Life, which I would recommend to absolutely everyone here. It's, it's the best book, in my opinion, that I've read on prayer. It's a recent book that's been out, a really fantastic book. In fact, our, our women's Bible study is actually going through this book. Uh, they'll be not meeting this week, but next week. You should join them, especially after today. But at the very beginning of this book... Paul Miller, the author of the book, he, he puts a story in there, a very interesting story, about how one, once he was camping with his family in the mountains of Pennsylvania, and he and his wife have six kids, okay, so they got a full house, but his wife was, uh, as he puts it, she, she had given up camping for Lent. She just couldn't, she couldn't handle camping with six kids anymore. So she was at home with one of their kids, and he had taken the rest, and they were camping. And, and he was coming back from the campsite to the car, and he noticed his daughter Ashley is standing kind of next to the car, and she's looking really upset, and she's looking really tense, and she's looking down at the ground, and she's getting really upset. And he comes up, and he says, Honey, honey, what's wrong? And she said, My contact. My contact just came out of, out of my eye, And it's gone. I can't find it. And as they looked down at the forest floor that was covered with leaves and sticks, and it was an impossible task, how would you ever find this? And he says to her, don't move. Let's pray. And his daughter Ashley, at that, bursts into tears and says, what good will it do? I've been praying for years that Kim would speak, and she never has. You see, the background story on this is that one of their children has autism and has a fine motor skill disorder that has made her mute. And so for years they've been going to speech therapy and had been praying earnestly. In fact, Ashley had taken God at His word and had really been entrusting herself diligently to the Lord in prayer, asking that her sister Kim could speak, and it had not happened. And in that moment, Paul Miller says... My daughter, Ashley, had the courage to verbalize an experience of prayer that many of us know but would never say because we want to be good Christians. We would never verbalize the kind of quiet cynicism that Ashley was experiencing that if, if we're honest, so often we've experienced in prayer, particularly those things that we really give ourselves to and have for some time is so... Hard not to just get worn down with disappointment in prayer. In our series right now, what we're talking about is living in the real world. How do we live in the Monday through Saturday kind of life that we all live? And recognizing that there's oftentimes a big gap between what we say in here, what we do in here, what we believe in here, and the reality that we all face on Monday morning. And so the question is, how do you do what we experience here out there in the real world? And now the reality is, whenever it comes to prayer, so often whenever we say to someone, hey, I'll pray for you. I'll lift you up in prayer. Really, it's just an an offhanded way of saying, I'm not really interested in doing anything about that, right? Prayer for us oftentimes is an alternative to actually doing something about it because prayer so often 
Well, like Ashley said, what difference does it make? So often that can, if we're honest, be the experience of our life. What difference does it make? That's the question. And so in our lives, especially in our culture, if you really care about something, if you really want to do something about it, well, we just get busy. And we're often far, far too busy to do something that feels almost like nothing, which is prayer. But in a culture like ours, a culture that we live in, it's essential for us as God's people that we learn the habit, the habit of prayer as a way of life. And that's what we're talking about this morning as we continue in this series of habits in the real world, habits for living in the real world. Now, as we come to our passage here, Paul in chapter 4, verse 2, right off the bat says to us, quite simply, devote yourselves to prayer. Give yourselves to prayer. Some of our translations would say something like, continue steadfastly in prayer. In other places, Paul says, pray continually in the Lord. Prayer, as we look at the Scriptures is at the very essence of what it means to live this life of faith. Prayer is the most fundamental part of our faith. It's how we live in relationship with God. It is the the bedrock of being a follower of Christ, is to be a person of prayer. It's at the very essence of who we are and how we follow God. So... As we talk about prayer today, I want to kind of look at prayer from three different angles. Three different aspects upon prayer. As we look in and say, what is the essence of prayer? What, what is it? What is it to look like? What are we doing in it? I want to take kind of three pers- perspectives on it. And then I want to look at three images we see from the scriptures that kind of picture each of those aspects for us of prayer. And then at the end, I want to say, now, what really motivates us to prayer? What's going to drive us to be a people who are devoted to prayer? That it becomes a regular, continual practice in our life. So first of all, the first aspect on prayer I want to talk about is prayer as worship. You know, fundamentally, at its core, prayer is worship. Prayer is coming before God and acknowledging Him as the authority, as the creator, as the king. Prayer is coming before Him and saying, You are God, I am not. At its core, otherwise you would not pray. It's coming to Him and saying, You are upon your throne. You are in control of all things. I am not, so I come before you to acknowledge you as the authority, as the master, as the ruler. That is at the very essence of prayer. It's a way of submission. It's a way of surrendering ourselves to Him. In prayer, we come to Him and we say, Your will be done, not mine. We come in prayer to align our will and ourselves to Him. And so from that aspect, it's worship. It's worship because it acknowledges Him as King and as God and as Creator and ourselves as not. Now, here's an image that we see throughout the Scriptures that pictures for us this aspect of prayer. And it's the image of a servant coming before a master. 
We see over and over in the Scriptures that God is master. He is our master and we are His servants. Now, this is a hard kind of image, I think, for us to understand, particularly in our culture. We live in a culture that tends to really elevate individual rights, independence. It, it, it elevates personal freedoms and personal rights that says, that says, I am to be free from any kind of authority in my life. That's the way that we tend to view authority in our culture. And so we have a very broken and distorted relationship with authority throughout our culture. We don't like to be under anybody's authority. We don't like for anybody to tell us what to do. In our country, we tell our leaders what to do, or at least we try to. Right? And so it tends to form the way that we look at authority. And it tends to distort the way that we would come in prayer and that we would miss this fundamental aspect that God is master and we are His servants. Now, a master and a servant relationship is very unique. It's unique in the sense that the master owns the servant. The servant belongs to the master. The job of the servant is to serve the master, to do his will, to submit himself to him. That is what we're called to in relationship with God. We're his servants. We belong to him. He is the master. And as Jesus expressed in the Sermon on the Mount, as we come before our Father who is in heaven, who is seated upon His throne, holy be your name. Throughout the Scriptures, we get the truth and the reality that God, He is the great King. He is the master over us. Now, here's where often we run into difficulty in prayer. Very often in prayer, we tend to approach prayer from a very me-centered kind of mentality. We tend to approach God in prayer as if, you know, we come with our list of things that we're expecting Him to do. We expect that God exists in order to serve us. We kind of invert the kind of relationship there. In fact, one of the fastest growing theologies in our culture today is exactly that. Here's the message of it. God is really there for you. He's your servant. You're the one on the throne. He exists to give you everything that you want if you just have enough faith. It's a total inversion of the relationship. You see, the reality is, whenever, we're, whenever we misunderstand and we reorient that kind of arrangement there, it tends to affect the way that we pray. You know, many of us wouldn't verbalize it that way or think about it that way. But oftentimes as we come to God with certain requests in our life, whenever they're not met in the timing that we expect, in the way that we expect, we become angry. We become frustrated at God. We begin to, to pull back from Him. We're, we're angry that He has not done what we have expected Him to do. So very often, and in doing this, with this kind of mentality, we have forgotten the reality and the truth that God is the master, that we are simply His servants. And in prayer, I'm coming to humble myself before Him. As the psalmist says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. If you come to understand that, to surrender to that reality, it's freeing. It's freeing in prayer to say, I cannot make you do anything. You are God. 
You are seated on the throne and I'm your servant and I surrender myself to you. Prayer is worship because we come to acknowledge him as king. There's another aspect of prayer as well and it's prayer as dependence. You know, at its core, prayer is depending upon God. It's bringing to God all of the things in our life. In fact, God calls on us to bring everything to Him, every single need that we can possibly have. Prayer is coming to transfer responsibility from me, from my circumstances, from my needs. It's transferring responsibility from myself to Him. At its essence, prayer is coming to Him and saying, I cannot fix this. I can't do anything about this. I have no control in my life. But you do. You do and you're good. And you've called me to come to you. And so I come and in prayer, I unburden myself. That's what prayer is. It's coming and taking this weight, this burden that I'm carrying, the things that I'm facing, and it's placing it into His hands. The one who is in control of all things. The one who is governing all things. The one who is good and cares for us. Here's the image in Scripture that pictures this approach in prayer. It's a child coming before a father. Throughout Scripture, we're told that God is our father and that we are his children. And if you pause to just think about that image for a minute, it's quite moving. You know, I have, I'm a father, and I have little children. And the, little, the thing about these little children is that they ask about everything. I mean, they ask, the pace of their asking outstrips my ability to make decisions. You know, it's like, it's like getting hit with a shotgun sometimes. You know, it's like these requests are coming from every angle. They have no problems with asking. And the younger the child, the more dependent they are. You know, a child is not sitting there saying, you know what, I I shouldn't burden you with this. I shouldn't bring this to you. You've got enough on your plate. In my house, that's never said, right? I can tell things are rough for you lately. I'll just, I'll deal with this on my own. They're not independent. They're dependent. And, And they just take that for granted. It's just... How they live. They just expect, you're going to take care of all of my needs. And because I'm their father, even though I'm selfish, I want to take care of all of their needs. I want to provide every single thing that they need because I love them and because they're my children. You see, God is trying to teach us what we're to be like with Him. You see, prayer... It's just experiencing that relationship of a child coming before a father. That we would come and put all of our needs upon him and depend upon him for everything. Jesus illustrates this in the Sermon on the Mount as he's talking about anxiety and fear. You know, this very common human experience, which is in fact the absolute opposite of prayer. And he says to them, look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. You know, you picture him on a, on a hillside, maybe even saw a bird over there that he's pointing out. Consider the birds. They don't you know, reap or stow away in barns. They don't worry and fret about for their next meal. But yet your father, he feeds them every single meal. 
He cares for them. He provides for them. Now, aren't you so much more valuable to him than a little bird? You see what Jesus is trying to teach them there? God is your father. You don't have to to fret about and worry about all of these things in your life, all of your circumstances, all of the provisions. Like, your father owns everything. He'll provide for you. And so prayer becomes an experience of that. It becomes an opportunity to come before him and say, Oh, I've been so caught up in running after all of these things and worrying about all of these things, but you're my father. You know what I need. And so I put these needs off of me and onto you. Prayer is dependence. But so often, we really struggle with dependence. We want to be independent. We want to control our lives. We're so eaten up with worry and fear, which is an opportunity and an effort to try to control the future, which is impossible. So often our prayers... Do you have this experience in prayer? Sometimes I come in prayer, and as I'm praying, I'm becoming more and more anxious. You ever had this experience? You know what is happening in that moment in prayer? I'm not actually praying. I'm not actually doing what prayer is, and that is taking my burdens and putting them up on Him. You know, so often our prayers can be filled with anxiety. They can be superstitious even. That if I just repeat it over and over, or in prayer I'm coming and I'm trying to say it the right way so that I will talk God into moving here. You see, that's actually not dependence at all. And in fact, Jesus, again, in the Sermon on the Mount says, you don't have to repeat yourself over and over like the pagans. You don't have to say it the right way because your heavenly Father already knows what you need before you ask Him. You see, once we come to see prayer, it's just dependence. It's just coming and bringing all of these needs and placing them into His hands. Prayer becomes freeing. That's what it's meant to be. One of the interesting things that that Paul says in this verse is he says, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. Now that's an interesting kind of caveat to put on the end of that. So he's saying, I want you to, to live devoting yourselves constantly to prayer, but here's how you're to pray. Being watchful. Some translations say alert. Now why would he say that? Why is it important to live with this attitude of prayer that is watchful, that is alert. It's almost another way of saying with expectation. Well, here's why. Because as you pray and as you then watch, you get to see God work. You get to see Him provide. Because here's what we often do. We come over here in prayer because we view prayer simply as a duty I'm supposed to do. So if I do this duty right, and if I do it enough, then God will, maybe He will see fit to take care of all these things in my life. Right? So if I go pray in the right way and all of these things, then He will take care of these issues over here. But Paul's saying, devote yourselves into prayer and then watch. Watch and see what He does. And then as you begin to see Him providing and moving in your life, you can be thankful. You can give praise to Him. You know, one of the cool things for us, for Ashley and I, over the past six months, and for all of those that are, that are joining with us in this church plant, 
is we've gotten to experience this very reality he's talking about here. You know, right six months ago, whenever we started this process, I had somebody tell me, some really wise person that's planted a lot of churches, he told me, he said, pray more than you do anything else. And so we decided just to take him at his word. And so we have tried to make prayer the first and the continual thing that we're doing with this church plant. You know what it's done? We have got to see God do all kinds of things over the last six months. You know, we're, we're praying more because we're, we just realize we can't do it. We're praying because we're totally dependent upon Him to do what we can't do. But as we're watching, we're seeing Him provide. It's getting to the point now where I go into a week and I'm like, what's going to happen this week? What's going to happen that I've asked for? Or what's going to happen beyond what I've even asked for? It has been so personally enlivening for my faith. You know what it's created? Thanksgiving. Thankfulness. As we get to rejoice over all that God is doing. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, but here's how to do it. Do it with a spirit of expectation and watching and anticipating. Because so often... As we go and we do our anxious prayer, and then we go on to life, we miss everything that God is doing. Is it that God just started working over the last six months in my life? Absolutely not. It's just that I'm noticing it, and I'm seeing it. And that is what He's calling us to, so that worship and thanksgiving would result. So prayer is worship. Prayer is dependence, but also thirdly, Prayer is intimacy. Prayer is intimacy with God. You know, prayer is just simply talking to God. That's really all that it is. Just talking to Him the way that you would to a friend. It's just speaking to Him, communicating to Him, sharing what you feel, sharing your fears, sharing your needs, just speaking to Him. You know, sometimes prayer is not even speaking, actually. Sometimes it's listening. Sometimes it's just being with Him and being quiet. Just being in His presence. You know, prayer is intimacy. Prayer is how we do the relationship. We often say, you know, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Well, how do you do the relationship? Prayer. Prayer. Prayer is how you're in relationship with God. As you pray to Him, as you talk to Him, as you listen to Him, as you're face-to-face with Him. And here's the image throughout Scripture to picture this for us. It's the picture of a spouse coming before a lover. A spouse coming before another spouse. Or for those of us who aren't married, it's the picture of a friend coming and spending time with another close friend. It's a great picture that we see throughout the Scriptures. You know how it is, you know, especially in a relationship, particularly in a marriage. You know, you start out... This marriage relationship, you're always talking with each other, right? You know, especially whenever you're dating even. You know, you're, you're all night, like you're falling asleep on the phone at night. You know, you, you just love being in the same room with this person. You just want to be with them. You just want to talk to them about all kinds of things. And you go on dates and you're, you're looking at each other face to face and you're speaking to one another about all kinds of stuff. But then what happens as the relationship goes along? 
Well, you get married and then you get busy and then kids come along and then you don't have time for anything else, right? And you stop talking. You stop talking to one another. You know, yeah, you might talk about what needs to happen or you might, you might talk about the needs that you have or, or you're planning out, you know, your next week or whatever. But are you talking to one another? So often you're not. And so often what begins to happen in the relationship is that it grows cold. There's no intimacy. There's no richness. And there's none of what creates the deepest sense of intimacy in a relationship. And this might be a little shocking. Conflict. Not just conflict, but, but what you do with conflict. You know, Tim Keller says, who wrote a book, which I think is one of the best books on marriage, he once said, any marriage can persevere if it can learn how to do two things. If two people can learn how to say, I'm sorry and I forgive you. If they learn how to do that and to do it over and over and over, any marriage can make it. See, the reality is, is two people... Do that as they repent to one another, as they confess to one another, and as the other one receives them and forgives them, it always deepens intimacy. You experience that as well with friendships. You know, what what are the richest friendships that you have? The closest ones. Well, they're the ones that you've fought with. And not only fought with, but where you've made up. Where you've said, I'm sorry where they've seen your, you at your ugliest. They've seen you in the midst of all of your failures, and yet they have accepted you in the face of that. That is what creates intimacy. See, the reality is the same in our relationship with God. It involves talking. Just being together kind of talking. But it also involves this sense of saying, I'm sorry, and then receiving from Him the riches of His forgiveness. That is the currency of intimacy with God. You see, here's the problem for us in prayer. Very often, it loses that kind of richness. Sometimes the the kind of richness you might have experienced as you first entered into that relationship with God. And so prayer often becomes mechanical. It often becomes just working through a list. It just looks the same. It's got no... It's got no passion to it. It just grows cold. You see, what prayer is for is intimacy. It's how you do relationship with the Lord. So prayer is worship. Prayer is dependence. Prayer is intimacy. But here's, a, I think, a very important question for us. What will most drive our devotion to prayer? What most motivates us in prayer? And I think, perhaps you can guess, I think it's the gospel. Looking at Hebrews chapter 4, the second passage that we read here, and in verse 16, I think he gives us a very beautiful kind of picture of prayer. Notice what he says in verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. What a way to describe what prayer is. That's essentially what he's doing there. He's saying, hey, guys, let's continually devote ourselves to prayer. Let us continually approach the throne of grace. That's what prayer is. 
Prayer is just approaching the throne of grace. It's just coming to God's throne where you find grace and mercy unending. It's like a big fountain of mercy and grace. And prayer is just coming to that confidently, constantly, just as you are. So what prompts that kind of call, that kind of welcome? Well, I think it's what he's talking about just before that in the few previous verses. How can we come so confidently, so expectant of grace and mercy? Verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So how is it that we can come to this throne of grace with full confidence and find all of this grace and mercy? It is because of this. We have a great high priest, Jesus the Son of God. You know, this this image of a priest is a prominent theme throughout the book of Hebrews. After all, he's talking to Hebrews. He's talking to Jews that were very familiar with worship in the temple and all of the sacrifices and the priest. Now, here's what a priest did. A priest was this person who would come in between God and the people. He would come in between a holy God, a holy and set-apart God, and a sinful people. He would come in between them, and He would mediate between them, and He would bring them together. He would make a way for the sinful people to be able to come into the presence of this holy God and be able to worship Him. And the way that He would make a way is by making intercession through sacrifice. He would bring sacrifices animals that he would sacrifice before the altar of the Lord, shedding their blood. And here's the image that's taking place here. The death of this animal is taking the place of the sinful people. The sin and the guilt is falling upon this animal. It is their substitute so that now they can be made clean and come into the presence of the Lord. This was the work of the priest. But the argument throughout the book of Hebrews is that it was only temporary. He had to do it over and over and over and over because, as he says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But we have a great high priest, the great priest to end all priests, the one that all of that priesthood was just pointing ahead to. It was just preparing God's people for the one who would come and make full and final intercession for his people. For he says here in this passage, this high priest, he didn't go through the the earthly temple. No, he went through heaven itself, of which the earthly temple was only a copy. He is at the right hand of the Father, pleading not the merits of the blood of animals, but his own precious blood. We have a great high priest He is at the right hand of the Father and even now is interceding for us, pleading the merits of His very own precious blood for us. And He's praying for us. He's saying, Father, they're in union with me. I've taken their sins away. They're free to come. They're holy and righteous in your sight because of my word. Oh, Lord, pour out your Spirit upon them. Oh, Lord, pour out your mercy and grace. I've purchased their way in. 
And as the writer of Hebrews says, it's not a, a high priest who can't sympathize with us, but it's one who was fully man, who lived the life that we are living, but yet was without sin. He's known every temptation that we face. That's significant. Because Jesus, even now, He knows us, and He knows every single thing that you battle with. In the darkness of your own life, He knows it. And He has compassion on you. And He can perfectly intercede for you. When you see that, when you see that we have a great high priest who has purchased our full entrance before the Father and all grace and mercy is ours, never ending. You see, it kind of compels you to pray. You see, it kind of pushes you into the throne. It ushers you and welcomes you in to say, I want your grace. I want your mercy. And you see, that's all prayer really is. I close with an illustration. I saw a a commercial just the other day about a local high-end steakhouse, one of the finest eateries in the area. It's a chain called the Golden Corral. Surely you've eaten there. And they've got something at the Golden Corral you need to take notice of. They have got a chocolate fountain. It's about three feet high. Okay? And what I learned in this commercial is not only do they have one of those things, not only one chocolate fountain, but they've added a caramel fountain and a white chocolate fountain. And so from my understanding, because this is kind of all-you-eat kind of place, so you pay at the door, and once you're in, everything in there is yours. But this chocolate fountain, you can go up to this chocolate fountain as much as you want, and you can stick anything underneath that chocolate. It's like a giant redneck fondue. <laughs> and it's never ending. It just keeps bubbling up and flowing. You can go in there. You can stick like Rice Krispie treats under there. You can stick um, uh, strawberries. You can stick a piece of pizza under there. You can stick your mouth under there. You can even, I bet you can even go in there and stick your hands under there and just run it through your hair. <laughs> just get covered up in there. So I saw this commercial and I was like, that's prayer. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying prayer is. It's once you're in this place, once your way's been bought in, you can come as much as you want. And you can just get up underneath this flow. So that's what he's saying. This throne of grace, there's like a river flowing out from it. Look at the book of Revelations. It's a river of grace and life that's just flowing. And He's saying to us, come and drink. Come and be covered up by it as much as you want. And you're free to come because Christ has paid your way. You're in. There it is, flowing. Come drink deeply. Now that changes the way you look at prayer. Now prayer is not something that I have to have this special set-apart time where I go and there's no distraction and I work through my list. No, 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 no. Now prayer can be something that happens in a moment absolutely anywhere in the chaos of your home as your kids are destroying the place, in the midst of your work as your co-workers 
are trying to kill you, every single place you are, the throne is there and you're free to come and to receive grace and mercy. Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking right now. That sounds really good, preacher man. But whenever I pray, that ain't what happens. Can you relate to that? Whenever I pray, that ain't what happens. In fact, it feels stale. It feels like I'm just talking to nobody into thin air. Is that ever your experience of prayer? Because it is mine. Many times. And to this, I would say this. The writer of Hebrews is telling us what is true. It is a fixed reality and truth outside of us, outside of our experience, that we have a great high priest that right now is at the right hand of the Father. Right now. Jesus, the risen Lord, is interceding for you if you are united to Him by faith. He's interceding for you. You have full access and this throne is flowing with life right now. It's a truth, a fixed reality outside of yourself apart from your experience. And so as Martin Luther would say, the only thing that we lack is the faith to believe that. But as you come to take hold of that truth and that reality, you know what begins to happen? Prayer begins to take on meaning. And the experience of coming before the throne becomes something that is rich and filled with life. You see, it is in believing the truth of the gospel that unlocks our experience of it. It's true, whether you feel it or not. Come and drink deeply of Him. Let's pray together.